Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Always good to be in worship with you all. Thanks, Cam and worship team, for, uh, for leading us into the Lord's presence. Andrew, thank you for the prayer. Really appreciate that. Well, you all are looking great. Good to see you. You survived midterms. Not over yet? Okay. All right. Well, while I have the chance to do it, I want to give a shout-out to some, uh, some folks that uh, I admire, and I'm grateful for what they've been doing. There are too many of them for me to name, but I just want to say thanks to all the students who volunteered this past summer uh, at Marion Design Co. in downtown Marion. They did a tremendous job. Yeah, go ahead. Give them, give them a round of applause. Are you guys here? Any of you here? Let's stand. Stand it for a minute. Too. Anybody that did that? Yeah, several of you here. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, as I've gone around the city and as I talk to people, you all served as such tremendous ambassadors for Christ and for our community in the city. I'm very, very thankful for that. You know, we recently had a, a financial impact study done by a group that does this at uh, the IU School of Business. So they study the impact that a university has in a local community. And we asked them, what, what is the impact of Indiana Wesleyan on Grant County and, and Marion? Of course, we have a much broader footprint all around the Midwest and uh, many countries around the world now. But, uh, but we asked, what, what's the impact in Marion of us being here? And I was struck by one of the things that they discovered as they did their research. They estimate that you volunteer 150,000 hours a year serving in the local community. That's just the students of Indiana Wesleyan University volunteer in our community 150,000 hours uh, serving the various uh, service industries and, and ministries here in, in our county. I think you should give yourselves a hand for that one. That's great. Just want to give a shout out to the women's tennis team. I think 25 years in a row, national or I mean league champions. Uh, senior. Rachel Botarf was named the number one player. <laughs> Rachel, are you here? I'm afraid to ask. I don't know if she's here somewhere. There she is. Way to go, Rachel. That's pretty phenomenal. We took the team to lunch over at Mishinga Meshit earlier in the semester. It was really great to get to know them and, and uh, just see what they've been able to do. And um, Eddie Shigley, Coach Shigley, co-coach of the year for women's tennis in the country or in the, in the uh, NEIA, so glad, glad to see that. <laughs> While we're on tennis, need to call out three of the other players who made all-league team, Lizzie Boss, Marissa Klein, and uh, Alex Maya. Great, yeah. Men's tennis, Tyler Abbott made the all-league team. And how about the uh, women's volleyball players? Great weekend last weekend. First time I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> First time I remember seeing this, but I think all of the players of the week this week were won by IW volleyball players. So Banner Rogers, Ramey Buckner, Katie Elson. God bless you, good plan.
Every single one of our athletic teams, by the way, qualified as national as scholar for the Scholar Teams Award, which means that their team GPAs are 3.0 and above. Every single one of our athletic teams has team GPA of 3.0 or above. Isn't that amazing? That's great. Here are four names I hope you'll get to know. I wanted to recognize them. Maggie Holderman, Trent Blazer, Blazer, sorry if I didn't get that right, Griffin Horn, and Kyle Berry. Do you know who they are? Yeah. All right. Nexus Financial Discipleship Center peer coaches. So if you'd like to talk to somebody about beginning to learn how to manage your money according to biblical principles, now is a great time to do it. Uh, I just want to recognize those, those four students for stepping up to give leadership. Thanks so much. That's right. Yeah, good. <laughs> I don't get to be in front of you all a lot, and uh, I just like to give, take this opportunity to recognize people that I admire. I also want to recognize Dr. Harriet Rojas in the division of uh, business, the DeVoe Division of Business, Kent Williams, the new CPA Center of Excellence International Program. Have you heard about that one, where there's a, a groundbreaking collaboration between the University of Wales and IWU to develop employability skills in our CPA majors, uh, our, our accounting majors here? I think it's a great, great program, one of the first of its kind. So I don't know if Harriet or Kent or anybody is here from that program, but I was really impressed by that. Well, there's so many others, but I, I need to move on. We live in pretty contested times, don't we? You know, I, I don't remember, I don't really remember a time when there was so much uneasiness, conflict, um, criticism. The things that we seem to be able to depend on and, and count on for continuity and uh, decency and being honorable seem to be shaken. I think we're living, we're living in contested space, in a time and place where life, where the contests of life have come to the fore. And each one of us is called on to live in contested space as a believer in Christ Jesus in a certain way. And as I was thinking about coming to share with you, I kept praying, Lord, what do you want me to share with with our wonderful student body, as I have the opportunity. What, what do I need to talk about? And I kept coming back to this sense that you and I live right now in contested space. And how do we prepare ourselves to live in a space like that? And as I was thinking and praying about that reality that we all face right now, of living in contested space, I was drawn back to some of my favorite words in the New Testament written by Paul in 2 Corinthians. Let me just read them quickly. And as I thought about sharing this with you, there were three questions that came to my mind that I believe you need to answer while you're here at Indiana Wesleyan University to learn how to prepare yourself to live in contested space. These are not questions that are going to show up on a test or on a midterm exam or on a final exam. In fact, nobody's going to ask you the answers to these questions before you graduate here at Indiana Wesleyan University. But if you don't use this time, this place, this 
community to answer these questions, I don't think you'll be prepared to live the life God's called you to live in the contested space of our culture and our world today. And that's what God laid on my heart. And frankly, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I just, I want to share with you some of the stories from my life of how those questions got answered. The verses that I that I thought of as I thought about living in contested space are these. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we're the smell of death. To the other, we are the fragrance of life. Who's equal to such a task? The fragrance of life. I hesitate to share this story with you because it's frankly not one I'm very proud of. But I remember the first time when I really began to get a sense of what it meant to live in contested space. I grew up in the church. My parents were missionaries. I had a very cross-cultural, very international experience. I was exposed to lots of different things. But quite frankly, I, I grew up in a pretty protected environment in terms of my faith and my philosophy and my, my thoughts. I didn't give a whole lot of thought to politics, didn't know what it was, didn't really care. I wasn't very challenged in my worldview. There weren't many times when I was subjected to understand that there were people who had very different views from, from mine and that those would come into contact, uh, conflict with one another until I came to college here. That was called Marion College back in the day. And I began to make friends, as we all do, and I realized that there were different people living here in this community who had different convictions about the things that we did or didn't do here in this community. Now, back then, it was very different. It was much smaller. There were like four to 500 students actually living on campus. And the issues that we tended to argue about were very different issues than we tend to have on our minds today as we look at digital media and we read the sources of news around us and we interact with each other. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but the issues that we really talked about a lot back then, whether they're appropriate here at Marion College, was uh, you know what kind of music you were going to listen to and whether you should dance or not dance and things like that, how you dressed. These were kind of things that were part of the legacy of legalism of our church, but they were the things about which we had conflict with each other. And I've, I've been struck over the years as I've thought about this that the fact of conflict was present and will always be present in life. What you fight over might be different, but you're always going to be in conflict. And I had never really experienced that before. I didn't know how to handle that. And I remember, here's the thing that, uh, that, I, that really came home to me. Um, they were, we, we had concerts here on campus, and, you know, the group of kids that I was hanging around with, and, and uh, they, were, they were pretty conservative, uh, you know, kids, and um, they didn't really believe, we, you know, our church said we, you shouldn't dance, and you shouldn't listen to rock and roll music, and all that kind of stuff. I know you're all too young to remember that, but that was kind of the way it was back then. Well, you know, we had a group come to campus and, and play. They played a concert. And back in the day, you know over there in Baldwin, the part that is just the Baldwin that's 
kind of the glass wall on one side. That was the whole Baldwin. That's all there was. None of the rest of that building existed at the time. And so, you know, the entrance was from the flagpole side. So three or four of these guys that I hung around with that were pretty conservative, this concert was going on one evening, and they said, well, let's go over and see what's going on with the concert, because we, we were poor, we didn't buy tickets, we didn't go. So we, we, could, we, we could look in the windows, and, man, they were having a great time in there. I mean, that, the music was really loud, it was, and it was, yeah, they were really going to it, and they were dancing. And these guys said, you know what, we're not supposed to be dancing at IW. What are we going to do about this? And they remembered that our general superintendent of our church lived over there by the airport. Are you with me? <laughs> so they said, well, let's go get Dr. Snyder and have him come over and see what's going on here. So we did. And so Dr. Snyder came over. And he opened the door and he walked right in in the middle of all of those sinners. <laughs> the next day, uh, we were not very popular on campus. Um, that led to some pretty, you know, pretty, uh, pretty intense conflict. Because people got questioned about what was going on. Was that appropriate? Was that the right way for things to happen at Indiana Wesleyan University? And I remember thinking, you know what? I got to think a little bit more about how I live in contested space. I'm not sure that that way of responding was the way that felt good to me in my heart about the way to respond, even though, you know, it was well-meaning i got to be honest, I think about that story a lot when I get whacked around as president today by people who don't like things that are happening on, on campus. I kind of think, well, God's <laughs> given me some of my own medicine, the stuff I did back then. It was a simple thing. It was, it was really trivial. But the question was there was conflict. And living in contested space... How do we do that? I think you have to prepare yourself to live in contested space. And I have a lot of hopes and dreams and aspirations for each one of you as students. But there are three questions that I'd like to run through really quickly that I hope you will learn to answer while you're here that I think will prepare you. It was the journey that God led me on it's the journey I've seen him lead many, many, many students on as they've gone through Indiana Wesleyan University and in other places to prepare themselves, to prepare ourselves to be the fragrance of Christ in this world. To be the fragrance of Christ in this world. So here are the three questions. The first one is, what will you love more dearly than anything else? That question isn't going to be on any test. 
And as I said, before you graduate and you walk across this stage, and hopefully I'm here and I'll stand right over here and shake your hand when you graduate. Before you walk across, nobody's going to ask you this question. But you're going to have the opportunity as you go through Indiana Wesleyan University and you study the things you study, you interact with the people you interact with. Little by little, your heart is going to have the opportunity to be drawn to one thing or another more than others. Little by little, you'll find your affections drawn to something. You will slowly fall in love. And the question I have for you that I hope you will take time to answer and think and pray purposefully about is, what will you love more dearly than anything else when you're through with this experience? And I believe that when this happens to you, the thing that we love more supremely, supremely, the thing we love more dearly than anything else, is not necessarily something that pops up in front of us immediately when we begin this journey. Oftentimes, the thing you love most dearly sneaks up on you when you're least aware. It is a growing conviction. <laughs> that comes over you, that you realize you're beginning to be oriented to something. Something captures your attention. It draws your mind and your heart, and in your free moments, you start to think about that thing. You catch yourself thinking about it. And when you have free time, your mind turns in that direction. When you have the opportunity, you spend money on it. You spend your time on it. You pursue it. This is going to happen to you while you're here. Little by little, your affections, your love is going to be drawn in a certain direction. You may not realize you're falling in love, but the moment it dawns on you that you're completely taken with this thing, a couple of things happen. The first is this truth. Real, consuming love demands sacrifice. When you fall in love completely and supremely with this one thing, it will push aside everything else. Isn't that the way it is? If you want to talk about how it works in relationships... Some of you are already there. Some of you are hoping you get there. Some of you are afraid you might. <laughs> there was a big difference when I was just dating around. And when my heart and my affections were captured by the girl who became my wife here at Marion College. <laughs> and when I realized that she was the one I loved... It demanded a sacrifice. Amen? It was time to put away all the other relationships. <laughs> Do you have experience about this, my sister? <laughs> when you love something or someone completely, supremely, passionately, more deeply than anything else, that love will displace everything else. There can be no rivals for that love. Here's another thing that's true about that. One of the things I've discovered is that when you love something supremely or someone supremely, 
It doesn't mean you can't love other things. In fact, the opposite thing happens. When you find one thing to love, it grows your capacity to love other things. And when you love supremely, that thing you love becomes the orienting center of your life. I fell in love with many things at Indiana Wesleyan University, including my wife. And 40 years later, 39 years later, I love her more than I did then. But I'll tell you what, that's not the thing that I came to love more deeply. Though I love her with all of my heart, the thing that captured my heart at Indiana Wesleyan University happened right in that very same room over there that's now Baldwin. In the front of that room, there, was, uh, there were two conference rooms. There, one of them is now the president's dining room. So I, I have a lot of dinners in there now. I was a part of, back then, what we called the Student Missionary Fellowship. I don't remember what we call it now. Uh, but, um, but I was, ended up being president of that group. One of the things God began to do in my heart over my first year or so here was a growing realization that I had played around with my relationship with Jesus. But as I read the books I read and I came to worship and attended chapel and had the conversations, there was a growing awareness in me that my affections were being drawn towards Jesus in a new way. And that I was having to wrestle with what that centering affection meant for me. And little by little I realized that Jesus was a part of my life. But there came a deep conviction in me that I wanted to love Jesus more than anything else in this world. And we were, part, we were at a student missionary fellowship meeting one evening. I, I don't even remember what the program was about, but I can remember as clearly as it was yesterday. As I tell you this story, I can see the picture in my mind's eye. We stood to pray at the end of that service. And as I stood there, this was not a great mystical thing, but it was as though God showed me a pathway of my life. And I could see a point of diverging in my life. And the point of diverging was, what was I going to do with Jesus? And I realized that if I made Jesus the supreme love of my life, that I would go on to a life of service and of blessing and of power in Jesus. But if I continued to allow him to be a part of my life, but not Lord, I would go on to a life of weakness. And it was like God asked me this question, who do you love most? And for me, the answer at that moment was, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. So what will you love more dearly than anything else when you're through at Indiana Wesleyan University? You will love something. I recommend that if you choose Jesus, 
Everything else comes with that. I wish I had time to tell you what the Lord asked me to do next with that, but I don't. I want to move on. But I, I will tell you this. He started to put his finger on things in my life and said, do you love this thing more than you love my will? And some of those were really hard to let go. Let me go on to the next question. I won't take as long. The next question is, what will you believe more firmly than anything else? During your years here at Indiana Wesleyan University, you'll have many opportunities to examine what you believe. You're going to learn skills. You're going to learn knowledge. You're going to ask yourself, what kind of experiences do I need in order to be employed? Lots of opportunities to learn things, to challenge your intellect. I really hope that you'll take the opportunity while you're here to pursue the glory of knowledge, the power of intellect. It's hard to keep track of this as you go through your courses, one by one. It becomes just a matter of, what do I need to study to get through this course? But actually, the opportunity you have to delve deeply into the knowledge bases that people have learned through the sciences and through the humanities through the years, if that captures your mind and attention, it's a glorious pursuit. It isn't just about being able to pass a test and get a credit. It's about opening your mind and your heart to the things that people have discovered that are true about this world that God created. The beauty of that learning experience can be amazing. And as you do that, you're going to be challenged to open your mind to things that you didn't necessarily think before, to perspectives and ideas that may challenge you. And I know from experience that two or three things are going to happen as you take on that opportunity to learn and be challenged in your thinking and in your intellect, to learn how to think carefully in a disciplined way, to draw information and knowledge, to not settle for the first easy answer. When you do that, I can tell you what will happen. When you open yourselves up, to learn in this way, the first thing that's going to happen to you is you will be afraid. I can't tell you how many times I have encountered ideas that when I first encountered them, I thought, there is no way that can't be true. And if it is true, I don't like it. I don't want it to be true. But part of the process that God has brought you here to Indiana Wesleyan University to do is to open your mind to think carefully about the things that you believe. And when you do that, you will be challenged. Now, everything we do here, all the learning we do at Indiana Wesleyan University is subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? We begin from a knowledge base of conviction that God is the creator of this world, that all truth is God's truth. So I'm not talking about departing from that bedrock foundation, but I am telling you this, if you haven't been challenged in, in your way of thinking and understanding about what God's truth is in this world, then you've got some work to do. When that happens, often your response is going to be fear. And when we get afraid, it's easy to lash out. It's easy to shut down, to, to withdraw. You all know Wilbur Williams? You know Wilbur, don't you? Believe it or not, Wilbur was my professor too. 
this is confession day, I guess, but I had to go to Wilbur one time and tell him, Professor Williams, I've got to ask your forgiveness. He said, really, why? I said, you know, some of the things you've been teaching us in class, I just, I just really couldn't believe they were right. And I didn't really like what you were teaching. And uh, I was suspicious about you as a person and your walk with the Lord and whether you're really a, a Christian if you could teach that kind of stuff. And I realized I was wrong. I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I need to ask your forgiveness. You know, Wilbur, <laughs> he said, of course I forgive you. But I would like you to go to those people you talk badly about and put it right. <laughs> that was a learning experience. That ever happened to you? When we're confronted with perspectives that are not our own, it can be hard. It can be hard for us to accept that somebody else can see a truth that we don't see and we can resist. So I'm asking you, don't be afraid. If you've discovered that you love Jesus more than anything else, you always have an anchor to go back to. You don't need to be afraid. Follow the truth wherever it leads you, but anchor it in Jesus. Here's the other thing that'll happen. When you get over your fear, you will begin to look for an intellectual home. What can I believe in that doesn't change? Are you all still with me? Well, I don't have time to tell you a long story on this one, but I, but I will tell you this. As that hunger began to grow in me to find a home for my intellect, for what I truly believe, I started to read like I'd never read before. I had a voracious appetite to read challenging and difficult thoughts and people that helped me to find a place to rest. And here was the question that was in my mind. Is the story I've been told since I was a child in the cradle something I can really believe in? Is it really true? And I went looking for people to read. And God gave me Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis. I read everything they wrote. I was more educated by those two writers, frankly, than many of the other courses that I took because I, I devoured everything. And I asked God to give me a home intellectually. So let me ask you, what do you believe more deeply than anything else? The last question is, what will you pursue more passionately than anything else. You're going to get asked a lot of questions. You know, when you first come to college and you're in your freshman or year or so, one of the things they ask you is, what's your major? Right? You get to be about a junior year, they say, well, what are you thinking your career will be about? When you get to be a senior, they ask, do you have a job yet? You know, they tell us that most American workers are disengaged and disillusioned about their jobs. They go to work and put in time, but they're not enthused and fulfilled by their work. Let me tell you something. You're going to have four or five major jobs in your career. 
But you can have one thing that you pursue more than any other. And the question is, what will that be? What will you love? What will you believe? What will you pursue? If you open your mind and heart to that, God is going to show you something while you're here, I believe. That will be the thing you will pursue throughout your life through many different jobs. And I think if you'll answer these three questions, they will prepare you to live in a contested space. The things you love, the things you believe in, and the things you pursue will guide you and me as we live in this contested space. Let me finish with this story. I, I had a student in Haiti. I served in Haiti for three years at a Bible college. The student was named Yonel. He came from a little village in, on the island of Lagunav. Uh, and he, maybe some of you have been there to Lagunav. It's a, it's a pretty difficult place to travel in. He came from a little village up in the middle of that, of that island. His father owned some goats, and it was Yonel's job to take care of the goats. He ended up in our Bible college. And I asked him one day, you know, tell me how you came from Ansagale, or from Lagunav to come to, to, to Bible college here in Petiguav and preparing for the ministry. And he said, you know what? He said, I was a part of a secret society that was part of the voodoo religion system. Now, voodoo is a fascinating thing, and it's kind of, uh, kind of an exotic thing for Americans. It has, has a lot of layers to it. It's very sophisticated in many ways. But essentially, it says that we need to tap into the spirit world in order to have protection and to live our lives appropriately. And the owner said, I belong to a secret society in, in voodoo. And he said, I had a card that had my own name, and that name gave me protection from the evil spirits. I was deeply into, this, uh, into, into voodoo and into this secret society. But how did you get called to the ministry? Why did you come to Bible college? Well, he said, there was this lady by the name of Madame Willie. Madame Willie was the pastor's wife at the church in Ansagale. And Madame Willie said to her other ladies in the Women's Missionary Society, we need to go up to that village up in the middle of the island and preach the gospel up in that village because they have no church up there. It was very, very hard to get there, but they made the trek up there. And Yonel said, one day I was out on the, the field, in the field with my father's goats. And he said, I heard this noise down in the village, so I went down to see what was going on. And he said, I heard this music. They were singing, and they were in the center of the, of the village. And he said, that music was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And he said, I, I left the goats. I didn't even go home to change. He said, I went running down to the center of the village because I wanted to hear what was that music. I'd never heard anything like that. And he said, when I got there, I saw Madame Willie and the other women from the Ansagale church. And he said, their, their faces, they were so different. And he said, I pushed my way right up to the front because he said, I wanted to hear what were they talking about. And they began to tell the story of freedom in Christ Jesus being set free from the fear of the evil spirits, of living a life in relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Yonel said, it was the most beautiful thing I had ever heard. And he said, at that moment, he said, I, when they asked if there was anybody who wanted to pray to receive Jesus, he said, I went to Madam Willie and he said, I want, to, I want to know Jesus. And out of that, he came felt called to the ministry, came to Bible college. That little card that had his name from the secret society, the, the word that gave him protection from the evil spirits, 
he realized he didn't need it anymore. He gave it to Gertrude Folk, who was one of our missionaries there. And I was always struck about this. It wasn't arguments. It wasn't anger. It wasn't censure. It wasn't judgment that drew Yonel from a life lost in sin to Jesus Christ. It was the beauty of the song of Jesus. That's my prayer for you. That the beauty of Jesus' song will be so present in your life that you will be the fragrance of Jesus in this contested world. Lord, thank you for this day, for these truths. We commit them into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.